The text for the sermon is from the book of Numbers, chapter 1, where we read the verses 19 to 50. Numbers 1, we'll read the first uh, two verses, or the first three verses uh, of the chapter, just to put it into context, the first three verses of Numbers 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel, by their families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. And then beginning at verse 19, we begin with the text. As the Lord commanded Moses, so he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. Now the children of Reuben, Israel's oldest son, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Reuben were 46,500. From the children of Simeon, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, of those who were numbered according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Simeon were 59,300. From the children of Gad, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Gad were 45,650. From the children of Judah, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Judah were 74,600. From the children of Issachar, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Issachar were 54,400. From the children of Zebulun, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Zebulun, were 57,400. From the sons of Joseph, the children of Ephraim, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Ephraim, were four. 40,500. From the children of Manasseh, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Manasseh were 32,200. From the children of Benjamin, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all those who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Benjamin were 35,400. From the children of Dan, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Dan were 62,700. From the children of Asher, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names 
from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Asher were 41,500. From the children of Naphtali, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Naphtali were 53,400. These are the ones who were numbered, whom Moses and Aaron numbered with the leaders of Israel, 12 men, each one representing his father's house. So all who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's house, houses, from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war in Israel, all who were numbered were 603,550. But the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings, and over all things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. So far, the word of God. beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over the next little while, I'd like to spend some time with the book of Numbers. If you read through the whole Bible at home over the course of a year or two, then the book of Numbers is most likely one you want to get through fairly quickly. A lot of uh, lists of names and so on, especially that this first chapter too. Not a very inviting beginning to this book. If you wanted to buy, if you wanted to write a novel that was, or a book that was really exciting, you wouldn't start it out with a genealogy or a numbering of the people like this. I doubt when parents ask their kids at home, uh, you know, what story out of the Bible do you want me to read? They probably are not going to uh, say they'd love to hear uh, Numbers chapter one. In fact, if you read the chapter carefully, you end up with uh, some questions. Because number, Numbers 1 presents some unique challenges for commentators. Notice, for instance, that almost all the total men over 20 for the tribes are nicely in hundreds. Only the tribe of Gad has 50 but all the rest are in 146,500, 59,300, and so on. Were there really not 46,502? Or 59,326? Apparently, the numbers were rounded off somehow. And think of the total, the total figure here of the fighting men, 603,550 fighting men over 20. Now, if you would add the adult women over 20, then you could count on double that number. And add the children and youth under 20, and you'd get around the same number at least. And that would mean that there would be more than two million Israelites there in the wilderness. 
And that's a lot. And yet you wonder about the logistics of a group that large. For instance, according to Deuteronomy 23, the Israelites were commanded to designate a place outside their camp for defecation, to do their job. They were asked to dig before they defecated and to cover it before leaving it behind. Well, if you had a camp of two million people, that would mean a long walk to the toilet at night. So we're not sure how the numbers work. The exact value of the word we translate as thousand in this chapter. But we shouldn't get carried away with those, that, that kind of little detail. Uh, we can't answer all the questions. But we need to concentrate on what this is about. And this is about the Lord our God and how he cares for his people. The the book of Numbers is how he cares for his people in the wilderness. And then we can think of how who he is for us as we make our pilgrimage to the our promised land today. And with that in mind, I proclaim to you the text we have before us with this theme, the numbering of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. This numbering shows us at least three things. First of all, it shows us that the Lord knows those who are his. Secondly, it shows that church membership is important. And in the third place, it shows the Lord God's faithfulness. His faithfulness to his people. So first, this numbering shows us that the Lord knows who are his. Congregation, those lists in the text involve real flesh and blood people. When you read this chapter carefully, you realize that in the context of God's word, this isn't just a list either. When you read the list of people and numbers of each tribe, you become aware that that Actually, every person matters to God. He wants them, those people, counted. They're not just a nameless mass. Not even if you think of those over 20, the men over 20. But all of them, they're his people, his covenant nation. Look, for instance, at what it says, Numbers 120. Now the children of Reuben, Israel's oldest son, their genealogy... Their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war. It speaks about the number of names and about every male individually. So this isn't just a list of numbers. This is about God knowing those names. Knowing those who are his personally, name by name. And of course, we just have the summary of the whole census in Numbers 1, a report of it, you could say. But imagine if all the names were listed in Numbers 1 and you had to read all those Hebrew names. But as the census was done, all the names were listed, every family and every male over 20, all the names were there. We just have the summary here. Actually, you could say in Numbers 1, we have a snapshot of God's covenant people at the time in Old Testament terms. 
In other words, God's Old Testament people in Christ, his church. So not only the individual names are important, but also the families and the community as a whole, all together, the faith community of God, the Old Testament church of God. And if you think that through too, then you realize that the relationship with God is not only a private matter, God and me. You hear that sometimes, that it's all about the individual's personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you see a lot of that expressed in contemporary Christian music. You don't hear a lot of contemporary Christian music about church or covenant. It's all about God and me or Jesus and me. As if I have a monopoly on God and Jesus and nobody else matters. We certainly matter as individuals. God knows us by name. We're listed by name in the membership list of the church and our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But God doesn't only want individuals here and there and everywhere. He desires a people, covenant nation, a church which is God's family, a network of people who belong to a body in which all the parts work together for the benefit of the whole. So the first chapter of Numbers shows us that individuals are important. The community too. But that census also shows us the reality, the truth of the Bible record about Israel. We live in a day and time when a lot of people see the Bible simply as a collection of old myths or legends. What's described in the Bible didn't really happen. or It didn't happen the way it's written. They've added a lot to it. They've embellished it or so. What's written about the nation of Israel in the Old Testament was made up to validate Israel's existence as a nation. They made up stories to give themselves legitimacy. That's what, they say, what is said. However, the statistics and the names in Numbers 1, with, the, with that, the Holy Spirit wants to assure us of the truth and the reality, the historicity of the Bible record here. That list and those those names and those numbers, they show us that they're evidence that this wasn't just a made-up story or so. These were real historical people with names and with parents and grandparents, family houses. I read somewhere about a couple doing mission and Bible translation for Wycliffe Bible translators in Papua New Guinea. And they were working on a translation for a small, tiny tribe of people who had their own language, but who were dying out. They were busy with the book of Matthew, and they read each part as they translated to the chief of the tribe. They skipped the genealogy of Jesus at the beginning of the gospel of Matthew because they figured it'll be boring anyway for the chief to hear that whole list of names. Wouldn't mean anything to him anyway. And when they finished the book of Matthew, they went back and figured, well, might as well translate that genealogy as best we can and read it to him. And when they read it to him, he wasn't bored at all, but he was really, really excited. And then he asked, can you wait? I want to bring in the whole tribe to hear this. And the whole tribe sat there and were spellbound by that whole long genealogy of name, that list of names in Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ from Abraham on. And you see, for those people, that genealogy of Jesus authenticated the gospel stories they had heard before. What they previously thought of as just a white man's legend, they now saw 
as real history. For those tribal people, you see, a list of ancestors was of the greatest importance. That gave you presence, reality. That gave you a place. For those tribal people, it gave them their connection to time and place. And that family tree of Jesus going all the way back to Abraham became a turning point in that tribe's coming to Christ. So Numbers 1 gives us a summary list of the people listed by name. God truly knows those who are his. Also today, and it shows a whole people of God, the Old Testament church, and legitimizes the record of God's dealing with his people. This was recorded for the encouragement and strengthening of our faith in God and his grace. And we come to the second part of the sermon this morning then. That numbering also shows us that church membership is important. Sociologists, you know, have come up with various types of groups. And they have kind of divided the types of groups into two main types. There are groups in which, pe- which people belong to simply because they have a common interest in, in something. You know, a fan club for a hockey or a baseball team, for instance. Something. Think of the Leaf Nation, which consists of people who are, with more or less enthusiasm, cheer for the Maple Leafs. They support, their support for the Leafs is what binds them together. But there's no way to tell who officially belongs to Leaf Nation and who doesn't. It's just kind of a vague group. No border boundary. No defined membership in this group. It's a fluid group even. On on the other hand, there are groups to which people belong because they have convictions in common. And purposes in common. In a more official sense. And those kinds of groups are clearly defined. They have a clear boundary to them. Think of the citizens of a country. You know who belongs and who doesn't. If you're born in Canada. Or have become a Canadian citizen later on. And you you also you might have a passport then. You're in. And if you're not born here. Haven't become a Canadian citizen. You're not going to get a passport. Canadian passport. You're not officially part of the group. You can't vote. You can't run for office, for instance. Well, the covenant community, the church, is like the second group. Clearly defined. Who's in, who's out. Israel was like that in the Old Testament in Numbers. You were born an Israelite. If you were male, you were circumcised. You joined the people of Israel later and you were circumcised if you were a male proselyte membership in the nation of Israel was defined and it's the same with the New Testament church of Christ it's not a loose group of Jesus fans but a group of people who are baptized who believe the Bible are bound to the doctrine of the Bible as summarized in the confessions are convinced by it so who belongs and who doesn't are clearly defined And the Lord obligates believers to join and become part of his church where he has gathered it. One of the effects of postmodernism on Christian churches is uh, that they have become pretty casual about church membership nowadays. 
A lot of people claim to believe, but they don't like to be tied down to an organization and to certain historical doctrines. They don't want to believe. They they want to believe whatever they feel. They want to worship wherever they feel like worshiping and whenever. That kind of attitude is not reflected in the census of the Old Testament church in Numbers 1. When this census took place, the people had to decide whether they belonged or not. And remember, there were lots of people surrounding the Israelite camp who were Egyptians or Midianites or so. So when the census took place, the people had to decide whether they belonged to God's people, Israel, or not. Am I going to be officially part of this community or am I out of here? So Numbers 1 shows that church membership is important. It's important to God. Therefore, important to us. And why is it so important? I can think of a couple of reasons anyway. First, official membership brings responsibility. This could be why a lot of people today don't want to commit to church membership. It obligates you to do things, to take part in things, to make sacrifices. And people don't like to be tied down today when it comes to church, just like to be free-willing. Well, that wasn't possible in the Old Testament church, the people of God. In Numbers 1, no, the people were numbered, but it's the men of 20 years and older who were specified in the summary of the census, and that meant that all those who could bear arms were listed, all who could go to war. In other words, they were obligated to be part of the army to defend the nation if attacked, even sacrifice their time and ultimately their lives if it came to war. The people who were able were all responsible for service in the army. And you see, God was preparing the Israelites for the journey to the promised land and for conquest of the land of Canaan. And then everybody had to pull their weight. And that's something for us to think about too as we make our pilgrimage to the promised land. To the fullness with Christ. We're all obligated to join and then to be responsible and to take part in things in the church of Christ, to make sacrifices, to do what we can for the edification of the others. We're all soldiers for Christ, called to serve and to battle for him in his name, for his people. And that's the essence of membership, responsibility. We're responsible for each other here and for the good of the whole. Each one of us has received gifts with which we're obligated to serve each other in the benefit of the body of Christ. Paul speaks about that in 1 Corinthians 12. Obligated to encourage, also to warn. Responsible to show mercy to others in need. Responsible to serve willingly as office bearers called by God to do that. Responsible to speak to your neighbor about Christ even. Obligated to watch out that wrong teachings don't creep into the church. So belonging to the covenant community makes responsible, brings obligations which you can't just shrug off. However, And this is the second reason why church membership is important, according to our text. 
The nation of Israel wasn't going to stay there in the wilderness near Mount Sinai. They were on the way through the wilderness to the promised land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. So those who were counted not only had responsibilities, they also could look forward to blessings. Those who were counted would receive a share in the inheritance of the promised land. In a sense, they were counted for the purpose of being blessed. Their inheritance lay ahead of them, but only if they were counted in and if they served. Sadly, we know from later on in the book of Numbers that because of Israel's disobedience, because of their irresponsibility, they ended up wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. At the end of those 40 years, then another census had to be taken, and you can read that one in Numbers 26. That was so that those counted then, all those who had not rebelled like their parents did in the wilderness, those who stood at the border of the promised land would all be granted a share in the promised land itself. And congregation, that share in the promised land is also the prospect of those who are part of the New Testament church who serve and follow and obey Christ through this wilderness too. It can be a struggle. can be a struggle here just to be a Christian. But what a blessing to look forward as members of Christ's church today to the blessing promised to us. Membership in Christ's holy church obligates you to do battle for the church and to serve and sacrifice in the wilderness here. But there's a wonderful prospect of an eternal inheritance in the promised glory at the end of our journey. We come to the last part. This numbering also shows the Lord God's faithfulness. You realize that the Bible isn't about people as such. It's about God. It's about God and his grace and his faithfulness to his promises. And you see that faithfulness of God in our text in, in at least three ways. Pick out three ways. First, notice that it says in verse 49 that the Levites were not counted. Only the tribe of Levite you shall not number or take a census of them among the children of Israel. Not counted. And why not? Because God had set them aside for special service among his people. Service in the tabernacle. The tabernacle stood there in the middle of the camp of Israel. And the Levites took care of the tabernacle. They carried it around when they moved. and They they ministered in it and they camped around it. They served as priests in it. They were to guard the holy things of God. So through the administration of the Levites at the altar there and with the ark, the high priest, God lived among his people there in that tabernacle, you can see. And every Levite not included in the census then was a reminder to Israel, God, the holy God is in your midst. In New Testament terms, this shows us that the church isn't about us, but about our faithful God. He has fulfilled what we read about the Levites in Jesus Christ, the priest who sacrificed himself 
and who was at the center of everything in the church. Another way we see God's faithfulness is the large numbers of the census themselves. Regardless of any questions we may have about the interpretation of the numbers, there's no doubt Israel was a big nation here. God had greatly increased the nation of Israel. Jacob and his sons and their families had gone down to Egypt numbering 70 people. And now they were a nation which numbered hundreds of thousands. And you see in that God's faithfulness because his promise to Abram to greatly increase his descendants and to make a great nation of them had been fulfilled. Even though Abraham and Sarah had one child almost toward the end of their lives, only one, God still fulfilled that promise. He had delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt 400 years after they went there. He had also promised that to Abraham. Your children will end up in Egypt and I will free them from there and bring them to this land. He did as he promised he would do and now he was working to lead them to the land of Canaan. So numbers one is more than just about statistics. It's about God's faithfulness too and his grace. And this assures us that a far greater fulfillment of God's promises will certainly happen, take place. A fulfillment you and I share in. God promised that it will come to a glorious new heaven and new earth in which his people will dwell and where, we'll, where they'll be too numerous to count, as many as the grains of sand on the seashore, a multitude which no one could number, as described Revelation 7. We can be assured of that that will be fulfilled. And there's a third way in which Numbers 1 shows God's faithfulness. God delivered his people out of Egypt and was about to lead them through the Jordan and into the land of Canaan. And in preparation for that, he had this census taken, in particular, of all those able to go to war, as it says over and over in our text. And it repeats that for emphasis. There's going to be war. There was going to be war. Big battles loomed for Israel. This this life is one of tribulation. But... The amazing thing was that the outcome of those battles was already established. God would give the victory to his people. Israel would certainly inherit the promised land. And yes, the Israelites needed to plan and to fight, get organized. But in faith, they could believe that God's plan would certainly be fulfilled. It couldn't even be hindered by a 40-year sidetrack. That's what happened. God is truly faithful. And we can take courage from that in our text this morning, can't we? As we go on our journey, too, toward the promised land. God will certainly achieve his plan and purpose for his people and for this world. And we can be especially sure of that because Christ has already won the victory 
essentially won the victory. But that victory becomes reality through our trust in him and our taking on our Christian responsibilities. So congregation, in conclusion, do you see that there's a lot more to Numbers 1 than just numbers? Amen.